as, as when we were praying for the uh, students that were up here that are going back to school and for uh, the teachers. And, and, you know, when we said, you know, that, that school started, you could see the smile come all over the kid's face, right? <laughs> but even without looking, I could see, I could sense the smiles on the parents' faces. Well, thank you for being here today. You had uh, a variety of choices already this morning, and you chose to be here, or whether it's in person or online. Thank you for being here online. Um, I believe that, that there is something that God wants to implant in you and impart to you today. Uh, if that's not what God wants to do, then we're just wasting our time. Because you don't need another person to listen to. You have all sorts of people that, that want your attention so that they, they can tell you what they think. All right? I want you to know that's not what we're here for. We're not here to tell you what we think. We're here to tell you what God says. Because the Bible says man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And God can use people to speak his word. And his words are life and health, the Bible says, to those who find it. What was the last thing you, you found? Think about it. You didn't find anything you weren't looking for. So it was something that you expected and anticipated and intentionally went after. And today, that's what we need to do. We need to expect to hear from God. You may say, well, I don't know if I can. The Bible says his sheep know the voice of the good shepherd. If you're a child of God, you're his sheep. And he'll make it clear to you what he's trying to communicate with you. And you may not hear audible words. I've never heard an audible voice from God, but I've had direction and guidance and correction and instruction from God throughout my life since I came to Christ. And, and it's supernatural, but rarely is it spectacular. See, a lot of times we think, it's got to be spectacular. God, if God was going to do spectacular, would Jesus have come to a little stable? Our God is a supernatural God, but he's not always spectacular. That's what the world wants to see. They want to see a spectacle. And I'm telling you, there's hardly any place you can look now that isn't a spectacle in our world. But God's doing a supernatural thing. And he wants to do it in you and me and through us to impact all those that are running to the next thing listen you don't have to run to anything he's there with you and he will do in your life what no one else can and what everybody else needs done in our lives and so we need to be aware and we need to be anticipating and expecting to receive Wisdom and understanding, guidance, correction, encouragement today. And realize, as the word of God goes forth today, as we hear the scriptures, it's not just a book somebody wrote. The Bible says that the scriptures are the inspired word of God. There's life in these scriptures. When God spoke, that's how all creation came to be. And when his word goes forth, there's creative power to heal. Because it's true, it sets people free and keeps them free. Because it's light, it gives us illumination and understanding that we didn't have before. And I'm telling you, we need all of that in abundance every day, don't we? And so let's pray and let's invite God to speak to each one of us. I'm going to pray, but you, he can listen to all of us at the same time. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here. But, Father, we know there's no place we can go that you're not present. But, Father, so many times we find ourselves in situations and feel almost undone, overcome, overwhelmed, stressed out, pressed out of measure because we don't remember you're there with us and that you desire that we would have abundant life. So today, Father, we, we acknowledge you're here, but Father, we request your participation. Lord, help us to gain insight and understanding from your word. 
Give us direction and correction from your word so that we can make the adjustments we need to to stay on track with you and to experience the abundant life and see your glory fill this earth. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what you are doing, and we thank you for what you will do, the best that's yet to come, because, Father, we know you're taking us from glory to glory as you desire to do with all but as we choose to listen, to hide your word in our heart, and to walk in the way of your word, led by your spirit, we'll see your glory in this earth. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to start this out this morning. Um, we've been talking about something that is common to all of us. There is not a human being that this has not impacted. And it impacts our lives. I was very aware of it this morning, even before I got out of bed. And we've been talking about temptation. Now, anybody here not been tempted this week? I'm glad no hands went up because we would cast that spirit of lying out of you. But we're tempted. And I told you, I, I get tempted even before I get out of bed. But some of you do too. Because I get tempted to stay in bed. I just want to stay there. This was one of those mornings. I just wanted to stay in bed. And yet, I had to make a decision. You know, my wife wasn't forcing me to come. Nobody else was forcing me to come. And so I had to decide, am I going to get up or am I going to indulge my flesh? And I'm telling you, my flesh wants to be indulged. It wants to be pampered and babied. It wants what it wants when it wants it all the time. And I have, I have indulged my flesh at times, just as we all have. But the Bible says this, if I sow to the flesh, if I give in to my desires, my longings apart from God, I'll reap corruption and destruction. Now, I know nobody here this morning has said, you know, I can't get enough of that corruption and destruction. <laughs> and yet we, we almost pursue it when we turn to do what we want to do instead of what God wants to do. And that's the fight. We're supposed to fight the good fight of faith, and sometimes we find that we're fighting within ourselves. Paul had that problem. He had that challenge because being human, we all have it. And, and in chapter 7 of Romans, Paul said, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. Anybody relate? And the things I don't want to do, I do. I'm sure we all can relate to that too. And then he said, who is going to basically help me break free of this cycle of not doing what I I, I want to do and doing what I don't want to do. Because we cycle in that. Until we allow God to have his way in our lives and he sets us free and keeps us free because of the life he has to you and through you to those around you. But temptation is always coming. Always there multitudes of times in a lifetime, multitudes of times in a month. Some of you are like, keep going. Multitudes of times in a week, in a day, in an hour, in a minute, and sometimes second to second. And we need to know, we need to know. How do we deal with this? And we've been looking at the, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer he gave as a model to his disciples. He, he warned them before. He said, don't just pray this vainly. Know what you're praying. Understand why you're praying it. Realize the principles that are behind it. But pray. Pray. And so this morning we're going to go to the last verse of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 13, and uh, 
start again where we left off. It says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we just got to the first portion of that. And do not lead us into temptation. Because that's, a, that's a, an unsettling thing if you're not sure where God's leading you. If you don't know that your guide is out to bring you to the best place, then you're always going to be checking out what he's doing. Because you can't trust him. Right? Now, I want you to know you have a guide. The Spirit of God lives in you, and he leads you and guides you into all truth. Truth is a good thing. Truth doesn't always make us feel good, but it is a good thing. Because we need truth. Because one of the major factors and weapons of the enemy in the last days is deception. And the only way you and I can make sure we're not deceived is to know what truth is. And the Bible tells us that God's word is truth. And what's a characteristic of truth? That it never changes. No matter how long it's been known, it never changes. Now, we have something going on right now in our society, in our world. We've got flat earthers. Now, you may or may not know about that. You may believe it. There are some very high-profile, very intelligent people that believe the earth is flat. Now, I've never been off the earth. Well, I have at times. But I never stay off the earth. But... We've had people that have traveled into space. They look back and they see that the earth is round, unless you believe that's a conspiracy. Because you can believe anything's a conspiracy. And that's one of the things the enemy's using at this time. All these conspiracy theories. Now, are there conspiracies? Sure there are. If you have people, you have conspiracies. But what we need to concentrate on is truth. Because you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free and keep you free. The truth will cut through all the baloney. And I had considered using a different word, but baloney fits. All the baloney that we hear, all the stuff that everybody is touting, this is truth, this is truth, this is truth. You know what? We don't know apart from God's word, but time will tell because truth will never fail. And so we, we need to have this understanding, this wisdom, because everything isn't as it appears. And so in this scripture, we see it says, and do not lead us into temptation. And it would sound like, you know, some days God's really good and he's getting you right towards that abundant life. He's getting you closer to the breakthrough, uh, the abundant blessing. And then some days maybe he gets up on the wrong side of the bed. And he says, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling so well today, and so I'm not going to take him to the best spot. I'll take him to an okay spot. Or I'll, I'll, I'll take him towards something that will trip him up. Do you think God wants you tripped up? He doesn't. He wants your life to be a revelation in this fallen earth of what heaven can provide. And that's the best. And so we found out last week that that is the not, not the most accurate translation. And there's a, a translation in the New Living that says it a better, more accurately. This is what the New Living says. And don't let us yield to temptation. God's not going to bring you into it. But he's going to be there when temptation comes. How many of you know temptation is coming? Right? Every day. And, and the enemy is trying to trip you up. And so when that temptation comes, God is going to, if you and I will look to him, help us overcome it. Because the Bible says we're overwhelmingly more than conquerors in all things through Christ who loves us and gave himself for us. So that means if we're more than conquerors, whatever temptation come, God has a provision for you to overcome that and not get tripped up by it again. Does that sound good to anybody here besides me? Man, I lived a life of addiction to alcohol and to pornography for years and years and years and, and tried desperately I mean, I was really intentional and intense about breaking free of this 
because it was destroying my life and my health and the people around me. And I will tell you, I could not get free on my own. I had to come to that place of saying, God, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And, and just broken. I don't know why I can't do this. And the Lord reminded me of the scriptures, with God all things are possible. All things are possible to those who will believe. And I had to look to God and humble myself and say, God, I can't do this on my own. And that's where I became very aware of God saying, it's not about your trying. My children try all the time. They try and 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 they get so, so tired trying. He says, it's not about trying, it's about trusting. Come to me, let me be your refuge, your high fortress. Let me be the one that is able to lift you up and carry you through everything. But it's a partnership. I'm not going to do it alone and you can't do it alone. But together, it can be done. And so this, this temptation that comes all the time... We're going to face it, but we need to realize we're not going to face it without God. God's right there. Every time a temptation comes, God is right there with you. God is right there available to you. But if we think God is tempting us, then we might say, well, maybe, maybe I need to let this happen. That's exactly what the enemy wants. In that ignorance, in that deception, the enemy can steal, kill, and destroy but when we know the truth, then we can stand against it. And, and we've got to realize God does not tempt. In James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, it says this. Let no one say when I'm tempted, when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt who? Anyone. He does not tempt. Now, God will test us. Just like they test gold to see what degree of purity it is. God tests us at times, but never with evil. And it's to reveal not to him, but to us where we are. You know, we say, you know, I'm really faithful. The Bible says everybody proclaims their own faithfulness, but a faithful man who can find. Because we don't, we don't want to portray ourselves or see ourselves in a bad light. And yet there are flaws, there are frailties, and there are failures in all of our lives. And if we don't know those and don't acknowledge those before God, we'll not receive the help that we need, the assistance that we need. We won't be humble enough to be able to say, God, I can't do this without you, but with you all things are possible. And so he doesn't tempt He's not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone else. But each one is tempted when? Now, this is going to give us a wealth of information. Because there is a strategy the enemy has. We're tempted when we are drawn away. Now, if something's drawn away, that means there is a gap starting to appear between what it was with And where it's going, it's going away. When we're drawn away, what are we drawn away from when temptation comes? We're drawn away from God himself. God is everything we need. And all of a sudden, this gap starts to appear spiritually. We have these desires, and these desires start to get solicited. Because temptation is a solicitation or a prov provocation. If someone is soliciting, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're trying, well, they're trying to sell something that you don't need. Think of a telemarketer. All right, I hope we don't have any telemarketers here. I, 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 we all have to eat, so we all have to work. But uh, anyways, we we find that this solicitation is an invitation. It is a presentation of an opportunity that's different than what we have right now. 
And whenever the enemy is tempting you and me, how many of you know every temptation looks great? Almost every. The Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. If anybody tells you sin isn't fun, they're lying. And if all they tell you is sin is fun, they're lying. Because the end of sin is what? Death. And so there's this momentary fulfillment and pleasure in sin. But the result is so damaging, so hurtful, so destructive, that it's not worth the pleasure that comes on the front end. But the enemy will always present that front end tip that looks good, that makes sense to us, that all of a sudden our desires are being pulled towards it. We're being drawn towards it. But the enemy has no power over you, except, as a child of God, what you give him. Whatever sin we sin, we choose to sin. Because he can't force us to sin. Now, before we were in Christ, sin was our master. We couldn't do anything but sin. But the Bible tells us when we are born again, the power of sin is broken from our lives. We are free for the first time in our entire life to make a choice. And that choice, we can choose not to sin or we can choose to sin. It doesn't cause us to be so fortified that we aren't drawn by the sin. That we're in this world, we're going to have that solicitation of sin. Where it is enticing, it is drawing us, it's trying to pull us along. And what we see and how we see it may increase our desire for it. And we can't live by our desires. If we're going to walk the way God has for us to walk. And so it's, in, it's a solicitation. It's also a provocation. When somebody provokes you, what happens? There's a reaction, right? And, and that's what this does too. Sin sometimes provokes us where we just react. And the moment we react, understand if Jesus is our Lord, then we have no right reacting. He's the one that's supposed to be guiding our lives. If we're reacting because we're provoked and we're angry or we're disappointed or we're hurt or we're whatever we are, all of a sudden in that moment, in that situation, God is not leading our lives. And we're getting back into the flesh and we, we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption and destruction. Same cycle, different initiation. Not a solicitation, a provocation. And for some of us, solicitation doesn't get us. Provocation does. And for some of us, provocation doesn't get us. Solicitation gets us. But we need to see that when this pulling, this drawing away, it draws us away by our own desires and we're enticed. Then it goes on to say, and when the desire has conceived. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a funny term for that, but when it, means, when it says conceived, it means to grab a hold of, to grip tightly. That desire starts to grip us, grab a hold of us, that what's happening is that's all our focus is, or the majority of our focus. Have you ever had a group of kids in a car and you drive by... An ice cream place. And what do the kids yell? I want ice cream. We would never stop. When our boys were in the car and we drove by someplace and they said, oh, McDonald's, let's have McDonald's. Nope. And you may say, you are a horrible parent. Yeah, but at least they had one good one. There was a reason behind that. We did not want our children growing up and being driven by what they saw, what they heard, what they smelled, what they tasted. If before we left the house, they said, hey, you know, we're going to be going by McDonald's. Could we stop in and get some McDonald's? Yeah. Don't do it every week, but yeah, we can do that. Or, 
hey, before we go out, is there a way we could go for ice cream? They're not looking at it. They're not, not being impacted visually by it or by the smells. And all of a sudden, they're thinking about it. Yeah, we can probably do that. But we don't want them living by just what their appetites are, what they're stimulated by. Because all of a sudden, you're run by the flesh. And your life is a roller coaster. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. We need to be led by truth. Because temptation is always coming. It goes on to say, when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth. And that's not anything any of us want. And yet we find ourselves wrestling having these things go on in our lives that we don't want. As Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. But he finally, in chapter 8 of Romans chapter 7, he says, but thank God, the Spirit of God is the one that can free me. And I'm paraphrasing. But he's the one that can set me free of not doing the things I want to do and doing the things I don't want to do. Because that's always the answer. God is the answer for setting us free and keeping us free and keeping us on the path of life. And so we started last week to look at the first sin in humanity in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God's made the garden. God has placed all the animals there. He's created everything. He's placed man in the garden, then created Eve from a ribbon in Adam's body and presented Eve to him because Adam was alone. And it wasn't good that Adam was alone, that there was no one like him, that he wasn't connected. It doesn't mean you have to be married, but you do need to be connected. The worst penalty in our society is to cause somebody to be alone. In our prison systems, when they penalize prisoners who have done wrong, and they're already in prison. I mean, how bad can it get? They put them in isolation. Because we as human beings don't do well isolated. And so... Adam received this gift that God had made of Eve. And now they're in the garden. And in chapter 3, it starts out this way. Now when the serpent, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Now there is so much here that we don't have time to really look into. But we're going to find out that Adam was there with Eve. And who's the serpent addressing? Who's the enemy addressing? The woman. And so he says, and he starts to question what God has said. The enemy is always going to try and get you and me to question God so that we become unsure. And when we become unsure, we choose usually not to trust as highly as we used to. And then we start to look for another source to be able to meet our needs. And there is no one that can take care of you and provide for you and protect you like God can. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And this is where we left off last week because she said part of a truth, but she added to it something that God never said. So if you have a part truth, what is it a whole? It's a whole lie. And who is the father of all lies? The devil. And, and he causes us to embrace lies because if truth sets us free, what do lies do? It imprisons us, it hinders us, it robs from us, it destroys us. And that's where we see the enemy setting Eve up 
And yet Adam is right there. And so she says, well, this is what God said. God said we, can't, we can eat of any tree except one, and we can't even touch that one or we'll die. Now, I want you to understand the mandate that was given that she's quoting comes from the previous chapter, chapter 2. And, and starting in verse 15, it's where God makes man. He sets him in the garden and he tells him, you can eat from all the trees in the garden except one. You can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because in the day that you do, you will surely die. That was God's word to Adam. But guess where Eve was? She wasn't there yet. In the same chapter 2, in verse 21 and 22, that's when God puts Adam to sleep, takes out a rib, and fashions Eve from the rib. She has not heard this firsthand. So she heard it from somewhere. And, and I had somebody talk to me after service last week saying, you know, I think that Adam probably told her the wrong thing. It's a possibility. But we have no place in Scripture that indicates that. And so in this moment, she's quoting God, but she's adding to it. And the Bible tells us in three different places, one in the book of Revelation, that we should not add to or take away from the word of God. Because the word of God is enough in itself. We don't need to add any wisdom because we don't have wisdom that's going to embellish what God has already said. And we don't have to take away from because what God has said is, is the best. And so... She's in this moment where she's now misquoted God. Now, we don't know where the enemy was when God gave this mandate to Adam, but I can, I, I'm probably, I believe that he was probably kind of crawling around somewhere spying on God and Adam and may have heard this. And when he heard that she said something that was added to it, he may have been immediately understanding that she didn't know what she was talking about. You know, when you talk to somebody and, and they sound like an expert until you find out what they're talking about and realize they don't know what they're talking about, they've just hung themselves. They've trapped themselves. And in this moment, Eve is being trapped. It goes on to say in verse 4 and 5, the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die. This is an outright affront to God's word. He is challenging God's word. And he's challenging Eve. What do you believe? He didn't say that. See, today you've got to determine what do you believe? Who said it? Is it because somebody else said it or you know God said it? Because if you know God said it, you're less likely to let go of it. But if you said, well, you know, Pastor Jeff told me this on one of the messages on Sunday. Pastor Jeff doesn't matter. Because anybody can get a platform. It doesn't have to be a physical platform. We've got all sorts of people all over the world with electronic platforms that are speaking things that are not true. And unless you know the truth, you don't know whether they're speaking the truth. And that's why it's on us that we need, we need to study the Bible. We need to memorize the Bible. We need to meditate on the verses of the Bible and build them into us because the Bible says... I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That temptation will never trip you up if you know the truth about what you're being tempted in. Unless you just give in to it. But if we love God, we'll never give in to sin. It's when we don't love God, when we love ourselves, we love our desires, we love other things other than God, and we let that get a hold of us. For God knows in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that statement the enemy just made, there's a lot of truth in that. Because the enemy doesn't come with a, and just an outright 
bold-faced lie. He packs it in truth, just like he packs sin with what looks pleasurable, enjoyable, beneficial. Because if it, you know, even fish are that smart. They don't just bite on hooks. You got to have some sort of bait or something that attracts them and, and antagonizing them or provokes them or something that is desirable for them and solicits them. And we just like that, the enemy does that to us. Were their eyes going to be open when they ate of it? If they ate of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, were their eyes going to be open? Yes. He's telling them something that's going to happen. It's going to occur. You'll be like God. Was that true? It doesn't matter how much we do. We're not going to be God. We're supposed to be imitators, knowing that we're made in the image of God, but we, we are trying to become more characteristically like God, have the character of God. And then it says knowing good and evil. Was that true? What were they missing? They already had all the knowledge of good. They were interacting with God on a daily basis. The only thing that they were not as acutely aware of was evil. How many of you know when you become acutely aware of evil, it does not benefit you? Just, just those of you that enjoy scary movies, I don't understand. But you just, you just can't wait for the next time you get so scared that you have to sit up next to the wall and keep every light in the house on. And every sound gives you an idea that somebody's coming for you. Why? Look, we, we, when we start to become aware of evil, it has a negative influence on us. Now, that doesn't mean that you go through your life with your head stuck in the ground. But whenever you and I encounter evil and find out about evil, understand this. That God's given you as a child of God the power to overcome all the work of the enemy. That greater is he that's in you. Don't concentrate on it. Don't go looking for evil. You don't have to. It'll find you. But realize that whatever, whenever evil comes after you, greater is he that's in you. God's given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I remember when we went to Haiti, one of the first times, myself and, and one of the pastors from uh, Syracuse, uh, Chip Wood, <clears throat> we went into Haiti and, and there was a, uh, it was well known that there were a lot of voodoo priests around the area. And they stayed up all night and they were cursing and chanting and screaming and yelling. And the next morning we got up and there were some other people at the new missions where we were. And, and people are like, they've got their eyes partially open. They're, they're, what's opened is red. And they are just looking beat. And, and Pastor Chip and I were like, what's going on? What happened? Didn't you hear them? What are you talking about? Didn't you hear all the voodoo priests screaming and yelling and cursing? He said, well, we started to hear them, and then we went to sleep. Sleep? We couldn't sleep. You know, they're cursing us. Do you know the Bible says what God has blessed, no man can curse? But if you don't know that, or you know that and you don't believe that, you're going to be staying up to make sure those big, bad voodoo priests don't get to you. Listen, when was the last time dark extinguished light? And that's what you are. You're the light of the world. The enemy is darkness. His kingdom is darkness. Every time you walk in, if you know who you are and whose you are, he's got to back off. But if you don't, you're going to get run off like the seven sons of Sceva. 
And you may say, well, who are they? Look it up. Look it up. It's an interesting story. But this temptation comes. And he's trying to tempt them into something they don't need. But he is masterful in causing us to think what he's presenting is what we need. It's actually better than what we have. Is anything better than God? No. And yet we think we need something beyond God. And the moment that happens, deception has occurred. And where there's deception, there's loss. And we, we fall into it. So he's laid this all down. She's gotten herself into a situation. And Adam is right there. And in verse 6, it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was, what's it say? Good for fruit. And that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. So you see, Adam was right there. In the book of 1 Timothy, it tells us that Eve was deceived and Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived, Adam rebelled. There's a difference, but it's all sin, and it has the same result. So Eve was deceived. How was she deceived? Because she didn't know the truth. And, and the moment the enemy hears what she says, you know, he's been around a long time. And now he is moving in for the kill. He says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. You'll be like God. Your eyes will be open. You'll know good and evil. And all of a sudden, she is right there. She looks at the tree. And she sees it's good for food. How many of you know that's one of the needs that we have that we can't go without? We've got to eat. Now, how much we eat is our choice. So this is something that naturally it's got to draw for her. Man, it looks good for food. Then it says, pleasant to the eyes. It was appealing. When you see something, something catches your attention. Is it easier, easy to refocus and forget about that stuff? No, it usually stays with us for a while. And then it says, desirable to make one wise. How much wiser did she need to be? She knew God. And honestly, our little brains, that's not, I am not being demeaning to you or me. We have brains this big. There are animals on our planet that have bigger brains than us. But no matter how big our brain was, we couldn't contain all the knowledge that God has. And we don't need to because we have God. And so she ate. She took the fruit. Now, what do you think happened? The moment she grabbed that fruit, how do you think she grabbed it? No. What did she say to the devil? You can't touch it or eat it because God said, we'll die. She didn't grab it like that. She was looking longingly, but fearfully looking at that. And I'm sure she was shaken when she grabbed it because she thought the moment she touched it, she might die. But look, hey, God was wrong. Right? At least what she thought God said if he's wrong about that, what else is he wrong about? Well, I'm not dead and I touched it, so I might as well eat it. Now, please know it wasn't an apple. Apples get a bad rap. It was a fruit, but we don't know what it was. The fruit 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so she ate it. And then Adam's standing right there. What a coward. I'm serious. What a coward. His role is to protect. And he hasn't protected his wife. He didn't correct her the moment she said something wrong. Now, husbands, don't make it your job for the rest of your life to correct your wife. Because if you do, you're not going to have a happy life. But there are times... We need to correct each other. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And sometimes we need people to speak up into our life and say, what are you doing? Hold it. You kidding me? I was there. Eve, don't do it. He didn't say don't touch. He said don't eat. And when he saw that she had touched it and had eaten it and she hadn't died, how many of you think the enemy just poured it on for Adam to say, I guess that wasn't true? Now, it was partially probably about that. But how many of you know that when God brought Eve to Adam, it was the most wonderful gift he had ever seen God give him? And now he's got a choice. Is he going to choose God or choose Eve? That's his choice. And he chooses Eve. And he eats. And the Bible tells us the eyes of them were open. And the first thing they noticed, they were naked. They'd always been naked. But it wasn't just the fact that they were naked. They were ashamed of being naked. All of a sudden, shame starts coming into their lives like it comes into all of our lives in a fallen world. And what do they do? They try and fix it. And they sew together leaves from a fig tree. Big mistake. If you have never seen a fig tree and never touched the leaf on a fig tree, you would not know what this is telling us. A fig leaf... It's kind of smooth on the top side, but it's got all these little spiky, stick, sticky things that poke you on the bottom side. They're making that to cover their most private parts. Here, put this on. Okay, you put this on. Okay, we got, ow. What'd you give me? Same thing you gave me. You're the fault. Do you see how it just deteriorated? <laughs> I remember when we were in Israel on a trip and we had gone past a fig tree and I grabbed the leaf and I was like, this is awful. And so I showed Deb. <laughs> So, so this is going from bad to worse because all of a sudden they're, they're being tempted in these temptations. These temptations, these three temptations are the temptations that every temptation falls into. One of these three categories. It's how you're tempted, how I'm tempted. And, and it says in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 15 through 17, it says, Do not cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But right in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, and it's talking about this fallen world, the lust of the flesh, the cravings of sensual, for sensual gratification, the lusts of the eyes, the greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life. Assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world. The world passes away and disappears. And with it, the forbidden cravings, the passions, desires, and the lusts of it. 
But he who does the will of God and carries out his purposes, his life abides, remains forever. So we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, that was where Eve saw that the fruit was good. The tree was good for food. These desires, these human desires that get out of control and destroy our lives. The lust of the eyes, it was appealing, it was attractive. And, and all of a sudden we're being drawn towards something that we know we shouldn't be drawn towards. You know, you've heard this, beauty is only skin deep. It doesn't matter how beautiful any human being is, time takes its toll on the outside. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is being renewed day by day. We're supposed to be becoming more radiant, more life-filled than ever before because we're walking with God. And so don't look at the surface. When you look at Jesus, when you see who he was, when he came, where he came, how he did things, man, he wasn't the most attractive, appealing person. The Bible tells us that too. There was nothing in him that caused us to be drawn to him that was physical. But I'm telling you, we're all drawn to him because of who he really is, not just what he looks like. So these, these, the pride of life was when the enemy tempted her with saying, and you'll be like God. You'll know everything. You'll know all the good and all the evil. You'll be just like God. That, that pride of life is about a superiority that we want over who we are right now or over other people. And it's constantly there. We battle with it. But how do, we, how do we deal with this? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this, For we have not a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weakness, infirmities, and liability to the assaults of temptation. Temptation assaults you. It assaults all of us. You can't choose when you're going to be tempted and when you're not going to be tempted. You can't put it on hold and say, you know what, I, I, I think I'll pause temptation for a while. Man, if you even thought about saying that out loud, the enemy would pour it on. But the one who has been tempted, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we yet without sinning. It's talking about Jesus. Tempted in everything and yet he didn't sin. How did he possibly do it? He was not just tempted in the things. He was tempted in everything. Every temptation that a human being could have, Jesus was tempted with. But he was without sin. How did that happen? Because he was so determined that he wanted nothing but what his father wanted. He was so determined to walk out what his father had said. He had put his father, almighty God the father, had the preeminence in his life, the first place, the priority in his life. In Hebrews 2.18 it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help. Help those who are being tempted. That's us. He's able to help us because we need the help. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You notice that word overtaken? That's a, that's a really accurate word because it overtakes you. You're doing what you're doing. You're trying to walk with God, please God. You fulfill the call of God on your life. And, and, and all of a sudden, this temptation comes out of nowhere. Because the enemy is trying to intersect and interrupt your life. To keep you from having the impact that God has for you to have in this life. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He knows you're going to be tempted. But when the temptation comes, God comes. He's there. He's right there to help you overcome that temptation. But the question is, are we going to look to him or are we going to follow the temptation? 
But with the temptation will also make a way of escape. And again, that's not the best translation. Escape meaning get out of. And many times we think, I just want to escape. Like it's going to be magical and it's going to disappear. It doesn't disappear. You have to walk it out. You have to, have to choose to be aware of the temptation. Focus on God. Yield to God, not to the temptation, and continue to stand and walk out your life as that has a pull, solicits you or provokes you. And you do not react to it because there's one that you've already claimed and proclaimed as your Lord, your master, so that you may be able to bear it. What God does is God infuses and imparts power to us to be able to not give in to the temptation but continue to give in to him, God in his way. You know this scripture, many of you, but this is, this is a powerful scripture, James 4, 7. This is how he does it. He says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then in, in verse 8, and I didn't have this, but draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So, so the way this works is you're not trying to say no, no. No, devil, I'm not going to do it because you're going to end up doing it. The first step in this is you submit to God. You yield. You allow God to have his way, not your way. Just like Jesus in the garden. Father, if this cup can pass away, let it pass away. But not my will, your will be done. That was the temptation of Jesus in the garden. Right? And that's the way he overcame the enemy. The temptation came for him to kind of short-circuit, bypass the cross. And yet in that moment, he said, no, no, no. I'm submitting to my Father. Father, this is what I want, and I'm being honest with you. But I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And when that happens, it says, then you can resist. So submitting is active. Resistant is more passive. You're standing now. Empowered by God to be able to not give in to that temptation. And it says this, the enemy will flee from you. That word flee actually means to run in terror. Wouldn't it be nice to turn the tables on the enemy? You know, many times Christians are like, oh, the enemy's after me. That's like a dog being after a car. What's a dog going to do if it catches the car? If the enemy ever really caught us and we were standing in God, he can't do anything. If you don't believe that, you'll believe whatever the enemy tells you. He'll flee from you. So, so we submit to God, we resist the enemy, we turn to God, which means we turn our back on the enemy. He's taken off. But there's already been some drawing. Maybe some movement away from God that that temptation started to take us and we didn't fully give in to it, but we got away from God. And we've already looked at Hebrews chapter 2, verse, verse 15, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, but we're now going to look at uh, verse 16. And this is what it says. Because... Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. See, we can't stand out there on our own. We've got to get back to God. We've got to draw near to the throne of grace. And grace is not just the favor of God. It says that it's the unmerited favor of God. But you're saved by grace. And there's a power there. There's a provision there that is transformational. That grace is God's empowering presence, power, provision to cause you to be who he created you to be and do what he created you to do. And so we draw near to this throne of grace, this throne of empowerment. And it says that we may receive mercy. Why mercy? Because we've all been drawn away. 
and we need mercy. We don't need what we deserve. We need a break on what we've done. God, show us mercy. Don't give us what we deserve. And then if mercy doesn't give us what we deserve, grace gives us what we don't deserve. So when we're drawn away, we get reinstated with mercy and then re-empowered by grace. Grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help, coming just when we need it. God wants you to have what you need just when you need it. Rarely is he early and never is he late, but many times we feel like he's not shown up in time, but he always does. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. When we see that God is there and we see Jesus teaching us to pray, Father, help us to not yield to temptation when it shows up. We have to understand that temptation is going to show up. It's not if, it's when. And the when is often. And the most inconvenient times. But in the midst of the enemy trying to tempt you, God is there to fortify you. God is there to impart and empower you. As, as we recognize, we can't do this on our own. But it can be done with God and for God. Working in us and through us as we submit to him. And then we can resist the enemy and he'll flee. But then we need to draw near to him. This morning, if you're here or you're online and you have never Turn to Christ to trust him for your salvation as Savior and Lord of your life. You have the opportunity today. Today we're going to pray a prayer of repentance and of recognizing who he is and receiving him as Lord. And it is a new beginning. And that's what God has. God has new beginnings for us every day. His mercy is new every day. His grace is new every day. And so if you've never trusted in Christ or turned to Christ and professed him as Lord, do it today. Don't wait. I'm going to invite everybody to pray here. If you're online, pray with us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who willingly left heaven came to earth, lived a sinless life in a fallen world, tempted in all things, but never sinned. Today, Lord Jesus, I confess I've sinned. I come to you as one in need of a Savior. Today, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your blood that cleanses me from all sin. I repent and turn to you to trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me Lord Jesus, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here today, let somebody know before you leave so that they can celebrate this new beginning that you have. If you prayed online, go to the website, reslifeny.org. Go down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. Would you stand? Life care, it's coming, it's coming, can't wait, it's going to be great. For the rest of us, you are fortified, you're empowered, you're prepared for what may happen even before you hit the door. You may be tempted, tempted to think poorly of somebody or think better of ourselves than we should.
But whatever the temptation is, God is there to empower you to overcome. So you can face anything and everything knowing that God is with you and for you and there is nothing that can stand against you. Amen? So I just want to pray for you before you go today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children here, those online. I thank you for your presence that goes with us. But Father, your word says you go ahead of us. You go before us and prepare the way. So, Father, we're grateful for that. You're also our rear guard. You protect us from anything coming up behind us except for what your word says, that your blessings will overcome us, that you daily load us with blessings and benefits, that, Father, in the abundance of our lives, we can bring your life to those that don't know the life you have for them. Father, we thank you that you uphold us with your right hand of righteousness. You cover us with your songs of deliverance and songs of love and of peace and of joy, and they resonate in us so that we truly are in this world, but we're not of this world. Father, we're citizens of heaven. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ is what your word says. And we thank you that we can represent you clearly consistently and accurately every day for who you are. You are love, and every good and perfect gift comes from you. So, Father, thank you for your abundant life, your abundant blessings, and thank you for the opportunities you're going to show to us this week to be able to impart and impact the people around us that you so love you gave your son for. Thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. have a great week.